Welcome to the Diving Pod. I'm Laura Wilkinson. And I'm Heath Calhoun. And I am Aaron Rooney. Once again, this episode is brought to you by the wonderful people at Sideline Scout. Uh, Video replay is absolutely critical for our sport of diving, and Sideline Scout has the best product in the business with their Poolside Live. Heath and I both use that. It's on deck uh, at Woodlands Diving Academy, which we'll talk about later. Uh, Really, what we were looking for was uh, something to replace these video replay apps that was going around for a couple of years there, and Poolside Live lets you delay it to a custom time obviously rewind, slow motion, go frame by frame, get the details. Uh, this week, we uh, we had two young ladies qualify for state for my team, and, and one of them was, uh, was struggling with inwards and just kind of pushing her butt back a little bit too far. So we did this slow-mo, the frame by frame, and just kind of told her to tuck her hips under and jump straight up and fixed it, and here we are. So get online to sidelinescout.com and uh, check out what they have to offer. It's pretty cool. You uh, You won't regret it. Awesome. So we're going to jump right in here, Laura. So obviously Aaron and I are pretty uh, familiar with your diving journey, but can you take our listeners through your journey of how you started and uh, where you are now? <laughs> that's a long story. <laughs> that's, a, that's okay. No, we have um, as much time as you want. <laughs> I, I started off as a gymnast, uh, like a lot of divers do. Um, loved it. I'm a little older than this crew. So I saw this gymnast, Mary Lou Retton, win the Olympic gold in 1984 in California and LA and was like, I got to do that. And so I fell in love with gymnastics, loved the flipping, loved all of it but realized at like 13 that I am not going to be Mary Lou Retton. I was not as good as I probably should have been by that age to, to kind of be on that path. But I still loved it, but, but tried a bunch of other things, kept tumbling because, because the passion for it was there, but tried, you know, tennis and track and softball and all the things. And wasn't until the very end of my freshman year of high school, um, I was like 15. I, I ran into some ex gymnast friends who started diving up in the woodlands and said, I should come try it. So I just remember showing up on the deck and, kind of fell in love at first sight because it was outdoor pool music was blaring you know it was gymnastics into water like it was this really laid back crew um and I just yeah I loved it I I got kind of thrown in with a a whole group of ex-gymnasts and we were really competitive but like in a healthy way pushing each other and and we got really good really fast so it was kind of a a fun quick journey in the beginning um you know dove uh three years at University of Texas uh loved that too and kept diving so I was about 30. Um, my third Olympics was in 2008 and I retired after that. And we have a whole bunch of kids now. And, um, I guess I just, I don't know, couldn't stay out of the pool. I decided to start playing again and somehow ended up back in the water and on 10 meter and, uh, went to Olympic trials this past summer. So it's, uh, it's been a wild ride. Never would have expected it, but, uh, that's what makes it exciting. That's incredible. What, what was it that pulled you back recently to get back into the sport? You know, I mean, I don't think I ever really wanted to leave it. I wasn't like, and I kind of sometimes envy people who are like, I am so done. I just don't want to do this anymore because I've never felt that way. But, you know, after my third games, like I said, I was 30. I'd been married for like six years and we were just ready to start a family. And that's really why I retired is we wanted to have kids. And that was just kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm losing the time on this, you know? So we... We wanted to do that and we um, started the process actually for adoption first and then found out I was pregnant with our oldest and kind of snowballed and I had the opportunity to go to London in 2012 with NBC and I remember watching my event there and it was really hard to watch because the level was not the same. 
And because in 2008, the women's platform event was absolutely phenomenal. And it was huge degree of difficulty for huge scores. Like it was just, it was awesome. And watching it in 2012 takes such a dip because all those people weren't there anymore. It was, it was kind of like, man, maybe I should have stayed in it. And it's like, no, I can't think like that. Like I have a daughter now. Like that's just, you know, I can't even think that way. And, you know, I kept thinking maybe one day I'll get back in and, and kind of play around. But we were bringing a daughter home from China at that time. And then shortly after that, I found out I was pregnant again. And we had started another adoption. It was kind of like this crazy, <laughs> crazy uh, few years there. But finally, when uh, my son was like, I don't know, maybe a year old or so, we, I took the kids to the pool to, to see coach Kenny and, and just kind of see what's going on and, and kind of get them, you know, in that world. And he said, Hey, you know, when they're in preschool, like maybe one day we just come and play, just, just come play. It'll be fun. You'll have some me time, you know, away from the kids. And so I started showing up for one hour, one day a week, um, you know, on Mondays, just to, just to get in the water and, and, it's really hard to put a swimsuit back on. That was probably the most challenging part was just getting back in the speedo and, you know, getting back in the water. And, but once I did, I mean, the minute I hit the water, it was like, I was home, you know, and I just, I just kept coming back week after week for that one little hour and stuff started coming back, you know, kind of quickly. And, and it got to a point after like six months or so, I was like, would I be crazy to try this again? And Kenny immediately said no. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to think about this. So like the fall of 2016, I, I went to Rio, like Kenny was coaching Cassidy um, through the 2016 games. And so I just didn't want to do anything that summer. And I was working for NBC at Rio, um, which was really cool. So that fall, my husband was like, why don't you just take the fall and see if this is something you want to do? Just dive back in like full, full on and just see if it's even possible. Maybe you'll know in two months, like I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this. Or maybe you'll be like, okay, I got it. And sure enough, by, uh, by January, I had a full list off 10 meters. So I was like, okay, I guess we're going to do this. That's crazy. Wow. <laughs> crazy. So talk, talk to us a little bit about your, uh, your injury leading into the games in 2000. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I had left college. Um, I had a full ride at UT and I actually left my college scholarship to train for the Olympics in 2000, because back then we didn't have Olympic waivers and you could only get medical red shirts. And, um, the Olympic games are actually going to be in late September because Australia is the different hemisphere. So the seasons are different. So they pushed the summer games back. And I just thought it would be, if I didn't make the Olympic team, didn't know if I wanted to keep diving. And if I did make the team, I didn't know if I'd want to come right back into this NCAA season. So I, I had a long talk with, uh, with Matt Scoggin, who was my coach there. And, um, he was so gracious and understanding, um, sad to see me go, but totally understood why. And, um, I came home to just really be full-time into training and we were at a meet later that spring. This was like March, I guess. And we were, uh, at a meet in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, just an invitational meet. And I was doing inward flips, um, you know, onto a mat, just warming up. And I came out a little early and I hit both the balls of my feet on the block of wood that I was jumping off of. And uh, I was just, it was bad. I knew it was bad, but I didn't know how bad, um, I iced it while the team worked out. And then Kenny later basically carried me to the emergency room where the doctor told me it would hurt more and be more swollen if it was broken. So he didn't even x-ray it. He just gave me a pair of crutches and sent me on my way. And I was stuck at this meetup for Lauderdale for like six more days. And I was in excruciating pain. I, I couldn't, I remember being on the floor with my feet up on the bed, just bawling in the middle of the night. Cause I was in so much pain. And, uh, we finally got home and I remember the doctor x-ray coming into the room with tears in her eyes, just saying, if I had seen this when it happened, I may have been able to, to reset it, but 
where it was now, I had broken like the three middle um, bones of my foot, the three middle metatarsals. And um, one of the bones, like the knuckles kind of of your feet, one had slid underneath and actually calcified to the two bones next to it in just that week. Apparently I have really good bones, I guess. <laughs> um, so it was like standing on a rock and she said, we're going to have to re-break all of these. We're going to have to take that piece off. We're going to have to pin everything back together. Like there's no way you can do Olympic trials, you know, and it's like three months away from trials. And I was like, there's got to be another option. She said, the only other option you have is just to cast it the way it is. And, you know, we don't know what that's going to look like. Maybe you'll be good enough to, to walk on, maybe jump off of. And so that's what we did. Cause that was the only choice we had. And I remember that first week, that like mix of emotions I felt, you know, when you kind of like, when you feel the whole weight of the world on your shoulders, like, you know, maybe like your job sucks right now, or school's going bad and your friends are mad at you. And this, like everything goes wrong all at the same time. And you just feel the weight of it. And that's what I felt like I had left a scholarship. I had left school. I had come home. I had poured my life into this. And like, <laughs> this is happening. It was like watching my dream, like sand just slip through my fingers. And it, it was just so devastating. I remember just dropping to the ground, like in the middle of my living room and just bawling and like screaming at God, like, how can this be part of the plan? You know? And I, I just remember like being on the ground, just thinking I've had this dream of going to the Olympics since I was such a little girl maybe I still have a shot. Like, I don't know what that looks like, but I don't want to look back in five years and say, what if, like, I, I want to try and if I were to drag up myself up there with one leg, like I got to try this, you know, and Kenny, um, is just as crazy as me. And I remember him like banging on my door, like 6am the next morning comes barging into, into my apartment. I'm jumping back on my one leg, you know? And, uh, and he's like, all right, if we're going to do this, I have one rule. Like we only look forward. We don't look back. We can't look back and say what we only look forward with a new plan. I was like, okay. Okay. And I was like, all right. All right. <laughs> it was just like this really dramatic moment. Then it was just over. And we decided to make this new plan, you know, where we had to think outside the box. I couldn't do all the things we normally do. I couldn't flip onto the mats. I couldn't get in the water. So we did a lot of video study, which is a lot more common now, obviously, but this is back in like the days of VHS where you had to be a lot more hands-on <laughs> with the videos, but we like spliced stuff together. I, I took all the dives that I had competed really well, or even done well in workout. And I put them together in the order I was going to compete them. And yeah. I remember watching them just over and over and over again, picking out every little detail and and trying to feel it as I was watching it and putting on like my favorite songs, you know, on my ears as I was listening, anytime those songs would be on like just walking around. It was like the dives would be on instant replay in my brain, you know, and when we would have to be in the water, he would hold my crutches and I'd hop up my, my one good foot all the way to the top of the 10 meter and, and shimmy my way out to the edge. And I, I would go through all the, all the actions, you know, they call it modeling. Now I called it pretend diving real fancy. Um, but I would, yeah, I would go through all the actions. Um, and Kenny would stand on the, on the pool deck and coach me. And it was so weird because we would do, say I do like an inward one and a half in my like modeling. And Kenny would be like, okay, well, you know, you sat back a little bit, so it's going to end up a little short. And I'm like, that's what it felt like. It was so weird. It was like, we started to sink and just on like pretend diving, like it was really wild. Um, you know, and there was so, and I would try to, as I was visualizing, I was trying to really not just go through the actions, but feel it, see it, like use all the senses that I could, you know, and really get into it and try to have those videos on as I'm doing that, like in my brain and kind of bring it all together. I'd go through scenarios. Like I knew who all my competitors were. I knew all the dives that they did. I put us in all different orders and all different situations, just trying to imagine like, what would I do if this person did that? What would I do if I did this, you know, and, and just trying to do all of that. 
Um, and if there were people in the, in the workout with me, Kenny would make me wait my turn in line. And, you know, that was kind of like, at first I was like, that's stupid. Like, why can't I just keep going? But he wanted to make me feel like I was in practice. And that was actually really helpful as annoying as it was, because it made it what should take not very long. It made, it made it take a long time, but I did feel like I was in practice when we did that, you know, but there, there came a time where like eight weeks into this, I'm like, all right, how's uh pretending to diving to dive going to get me to the Olympics? <laughs> you know, how is uh modeling on the 10 meter going to get me to the top of the podium, you know? And, uh, there was kind of a point where I really felt stupid. There were swimmers in the pool next to us that were making fun of me. And I just, I, that was the time I really felt like I wanted to give up, you know? Um, but there were these kids in our workout, uh, and they were anywhere from like eight to 18. I was just in the club workout and they, I guess had been watching me do this for so long. They were starting to buy into it and believe in what we were doing. And I remember them just coming up and like giving me hugs and like, Hey, you, you got this. Like, I really think you can do this. You know, I believe in you. And it's kind of like, wow. You know, and it got to a point where I would do like a pretend entry on 10 meter and I'd hear somebody on the other side of the pool going, I didn't see a drop of water. I'd give it a 10, you know, and it was hilarious and awesome. And it was as stupid as it may have looked to anybody watching. It made all the difference in the world to me. And it made me feel like I wasn't alone and that maybe this crazy thing is really possible, you know, and I really think those kids and Kenny and everybody not letting me give up on that really kind of made all the difference to me, you know, and I only had, once I got my cast off, I only had about two and a half weeks in the water before trials and I'd never been to an Olympic trials before. Like that's terrifying in its own right. Like that's a lot of times more intense than the Olympic games. Um, but man, I was just so excited to be there after what we went through that that kind of overwhelmed all the like doubts and fears, I think. Wow. So <laughs> my, my number one takeaway of after all that is if there's ever a diver or a coach out there that has to deal with an injury and, and unfortunately it's part of our sport and it happens, that was probably the greatest story I could have ever heard about how to deal with an injury. You know, do the modeling, do the coaching with the athlete, even though they're not getting in the water, that was super beneficial already for me. Uh, in this. So I appreciate that. But number one, I would love to hear you talk about your visual visualization process. I was taught actually at UT. I went to a diving camp at Texas. I got to meet coach Scoggin, which was amazing. And he had a guest coach there. I, I really don't remember her name, but she said, you need to use all five of your senses at every point in the dive. And it's very difficult to explain that. It's very difficult and very personal based on each different diver. I'm wondering what your process is like and uh, take us through that. Um, I think the first thing you need to realize is it's not easy. If you're doing it right, it's not easy because everybody thinks, oh yeah, I'll just visualize and they do it for 10 minutes and they're done. I'm like, you know, I'm going to really doubt what you put in there, like what kind of effort that was. Because the first time I tried to visualize and, and there's different ways to visualize. I mean, you can do it in first person where you're like seeing what you would see in the dive, or you can do it in third person where you're looking like up at the board and you're watching yourself like it's a videotape. And that is really, really difficult. At least for me, that was like, I remember the first time I tried to imagine myself doing a reverse dive, I kept touching high and landing on my face. I couldn't make myself go vertical and it took time. And it took me like kind of slowing down to the point where it's frame by frame. So I could force my mind to make me touch at the right place. And it was really hard. It took me a long time, you know, and, and once you get the hang of it and once you get used to it, you understand how to slow that down and how to correct it. And, and it's a little different. And I can, 
I can do it almost not in my sleep, but like I can, I can do it a lot better now and a lot faster, but it took me a long time to figure that out. And if, if there's a new dive that I'm working on, even in my brain, like it takes me a little while to figure out and studying videos can actually help you do that. Like watch, watch the Chinese or watch whoever, you know, who's come out that you're studying that you want to do that come out, like watch that person's video and then like close your eyes and feel like it's you doing that. Start, start seeing your body doing those actions. Start imagining what that feels like when you kick in that certain way. Like, like you were saying, use all of your senses. Don't just see it, but you want to feel it, whether you're watching in first person or third person, you can still start feeling what you're doing. And there's been some cool studies too. I read about one where they did this uh, thing where they were, they were kind of seeing what visualization could do with weightlifting. And they did a group that actually lifted weights and then a group that just visualized lifting weights. And the group that actually lifted the weights over a certain period of time gained like 30% of muscle mass or something from what they were doing. The group that was just visualizing the workout, which they have must have been doing a very intensive visualizing process, still gained 13% of muscle without lifting a single weight. So what if, so what if you are visualizing like that and lifting the weights, how much more beneficial is that going to be? So, you know, and it's when I was visualizing, and I think the reason it was so powerful was because I couldn't get in the water. So I was doing that stuff six plus hours a day. So it was a lot of like mental training, you know, it was hardcore, like how you do it, you know? And, and so I think that's really why it paid off such dividends and why I became so comfortable in whatever scenario was going on too. Cause I was, I was kind of ready for it. Like I had thought about it already, like nothing really may not have been the exact situation, but I had gone through so many that I, I just felt very ready for that. Yeah. Do you looking back for your Wait, visualization? Did you, see, did you see how much I just stunned Aaron? He just knocked his whole like mic. <laughs> yeah. Up. I feel I really literally cool. just. <laughs> I apologize but, uh... for the noise. I totally freaked out, and all the cords went flying. I was so He's excited. So excited right now. <laughs> so, so the question I would have is: It sounds like in 2000, when you were going through your injury and visualization and healing, you did have that moment of doubt of like, what is going on? And it sounds like kind of those people around you made a big impact. What was the point where you maybe felt there was a breakthrough with your visualization? Did, did you go from, you know, and it probably was pre two thousands when you had that breakthrough, like what was the moment where you went from I'm visualizing a dive and I'm, I'm watching it in my head to like, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling how this is actually helping me now. What was that point for you? Are you able to pinpoint that or a time or place or anything like that? I mean, I don't, I don't know that I realized it until I got back in the water. Um, Cause when I was doing that, I mean, I'd kind of visualized before and I'd kind of dabbled in some things and I can tell you those stories in a minute, but with, with that time in 2000, that like 10 weeks or whatever, that I was kind of stuck doing that. I didn't really realize how powerful it was until I actually got back in the water. And for me, usually it would take over a month to get like my dives back on 10 meter and to, to get in, I mean, and not even have them good, but just to get them off and like somewhat landing on my head. I mean, I got all my dives off within three days and I was at the Olympic trials two and a half weeks later and I won by 40 points. So that's, I mean, so going into that, I realized like, cause I didn't feel like I missed much of a beat. And that was like, I mean, I knew in that moment, like, okay, I'm, I, I didn't miss much here. Like I'm, I'm actually okay. And that was, that was really kind of shocking, but, but really cool. Awesome. So you touched on being an Olympic champion. Can you go through Sydney? Can you go through what happened in 2000? Just kind of tell us how it all went down. 
Sure. Uh, <laughs> the loaded questions. I love it. Uh, they sound so sweet and short, but they're long stories. Um, <laughs> stop, stop me if I'm getting too winded. But uh, so I'll just really get into the finals because that's obviously where the exciting stuff was. Um, sure. I, I had an OK prelim. Um, I think I had missed. We did five dives and prelims optionals um, and I missed inward, which is the one I struggled with because um, it was the action I broke my foot on. And it's where I had to put all the weight on the balls of my feet, which was I still had a like bone lodged underneath it. So it was really painful for me to, to push that way and scary. Um, so I was struggling with that one. Um, in the semifinal rounds, we still did requireds back then. So I did my four required dives and they were not glorious. <laughs> they were very subpar and I was pretty good at balls. So it was a little, uh, a little frustrating to be about 25 points back from the leader um, after Vols. And so they used both prelims and semis to cut for finals. Um, so I was seated fit. What was I? I was seated fifth in the scores because I think, um, yeah, because my placement was fifth overall, but my point total was like eighth place because I was so far back from required. So, you know, I'm, I'm going into finals. And everybody is pretty dead even on like degree of difficulty. Um, so I'm, and I, I had been training in the same group as the Chinese for a month and I don't think I ever saw them miss. So, you know, I, I knew, and the two Canadians that were in there were really solid too. And so I knew it was going to be some kind of crazy uphill battle, but I, I love verses and I love quotes and I hide them and bury them deep in my heart. So they're always there when I need them. And, and I remember when we were getting marched out before the meet started this one um, quote just kept coming in my mind. It was, um, you don't have to have the lead if you have the heart to come from behind. And I was just like, okay, what have we just been through this year? Like I have heart. If I've got one thing, I know I've got heart. <laughs> I may not be the fastest. I may not jump the highest. I may not get in the cleanest or be the most consistent, but I have the most heart of anyone here. And there is, that is not even a contest, you know? So we started the finals and I felt pretty confident. I had a great warm up going in. I had that kind of state of mind you know, that I was going to come from behind. And I had my first two dives were great. I mean, they were like eight, eight and a half, like real solid. Everybody ahead of me was getting like nines and I was already 25 points behind. So I was losing ground. Um, but the third round uh, was my gainer two and a half tuck. And that was a dive I had done for tens at trials. I'd done it for tens at nationals. Like it was a dive I knew I could hit really well. Um, and it was really funny because I, I remember sitting down and I put my headphones on. I'm ready to listen to my music because, you know, that's you got to get in the zone. And we all love to listen to music. So I'm I'm sitting down to like listen to Van Halen or something awesome. Right. <laughs> yeah. And this is, of course, back in the day um, where we don't have rechargeable phones that you can just plug into the wall. We have Discmans and they require double A batteries. <laughs> and yes. uh, my double A batteries died and my Discman didn't want to work and I didn't pack extra batteries. So I'm at the most important meet of my life and the most important moment of my life. And I have no music. And so I promptly, like any sane person, started to freak out because this is the most important moment of my life. And I don't know how to calm down right now. And then I just totally started laughing. So I'm like, this is just totally something I would do right here in this moment. So stupid. Um, and I started to think about, okay, I've done this dive so many times so well. I've done it all summer for tens. Like, this is my dive. And I kind of almost started to give myself a little pep talk, you know, and, and I even remember 
like looking down at my hand and, and remembering this thing from like junior high, this talk I had heard at church talking about mustard seed faith. If you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say from this mountain, move from here to there and it will. And, and I remember we at this little junior high lesson, they had had this little jar of mustard seeds and they'd passed them around and I put one in my Bible. I'd taken it out on numerous occasions and held it in my hand. And I remember sitting there waiting for my dive, like looking down at my hand and imagining that tiny little mustard seed. And I was like, surely I've got that much faith. Surely I have that much. And I know I can do this. And I, I started to feel, I think more confident than I would have if I had my headphones, you know, trying to calm myself down. I was like uber pep talking to myself. And I I remember walking out to do my dive and I put my arms out and I just knew before I went, like it was going to be good. And I nailed it. It was a little out, but I like nailed it for like nines and nine and a halves. And I was like, sweet. Okay. This just felt really good. And Kenny's like, great, calm down. You've got two more dives, you know? And so I go to sit, I go to sit back down by my stuff. I have no headphones now. So I'm like, all right, what do I do? I'm just sitting there and I hear really low scores and I'm like, crap, did I spend too much time in the hot tub? Like, did they start the round over? Cause the girls going after me were the top four girls. It was the two Chinese and the two Canadians that were amazing. So I was like, shoot, like what just, you know, was that 12th place? So I, I waited to hear who the next person was. Cause I couldn't see the scoreboard. And it was the third place person. So I was like, okay, well, I, that's weird. You know, she just missed a dive, but whatever. So I'm thinking about my inward, thinking about my inward. And then somebody else misses their dive. I'm like, whoa, this is really weird, but whatever. I got to think about my dive. I got to think about my dive, you know, and the next two people miss, like everybody missed and they weren't like sevens. I mean, it was like threes and fours and fives, like these huge misses. And so I couldn't see the scoreboard, but I knew I had caught up and I, I had to be within striking distance at that point. But the next dive was in were two and a half pike. The one I was struggling with, the one that hurt, the one that was scary. And I have no music <laughs> to calm me down, which was just killing me. So I go over to Kenny because I'm like, surely coach Kenny is going to just tell me some magic words and it'll be okay no because he's amazing because Kenny's amazing. And I walk over to talk to Kenny and he looks right at me, looks me in the eye and he goes, do it for Hillary. And he walks away. And I'm like, what you know because Hillary was a teammate of ours that we lost in a car accident three years before that so I'm like okay most important moment of my life and my coach is trying to make me cry I'm walking to the tower I keep looking back and he's not he's not (laughs) even looking back I'm like wow okay um what do I do here and you know I I realized like Kenny knows me really really well he knows how to push my buttons I've got to trust him I got to go there and so I'm walking up the tower and I'm thinking of Hillary and I'm just, my mind's just wandering on different times we spent together. And I remember this conversation that we had, um, after, I don't know, after practice one time, and I remember asking her, cause she had been a really good gymnast and she was the first alternate to the 1992 Olympic gymnastics team. And we started diving at the same time the next year. And I remember picking her brain one time just cause she was the closest to the Olympics, you know, anybody I knew. So I'm picking her brain about stuff. And I asked her, you know, if, if you could go to trials again, like for diving, like, would you try to go, would you try to make that team? And she's like, you know, I don't know that I could go again and come that close and not make it. I'm just not even sure I'd want to go through that again, but if anybody on our team is going to do it, it's going to be you. And it really stuck with me as I'm walking up these stairs that like, she didn't get this chance. And like, this was her dream too. And I started thinking about all those kids that were cheering me on during those practices when I wanted to give up and they're, they're telling me there's no water. They're cheering. They're buying into this craziness that we're doing. Like I might be their only chance because not all of them are going to be in this moment, you know? And I just really, 
really kind of realized at that moment, like, this isn't just my dream. This isn't just about me anymore. And it wasn't like this pressure, but it just felt like this power behind me. You know what I mean? And I, I remember they called my name and I walked to the end and I turned around and I stood up and I put my arms up and I felt like I was six feet tall. I felt huge. And I wasn't scared. And I was like, you know what? I have no, no reason to hold back anymore. I was like, I'm going to throw at that tower. And I don't care if I hit that tower, like I'm all in. And it was the best inward I'd done since I came back from breaking my foot and I nailed it. You know, I got like nines, I think maybe nine and a halves again. And it was great. I walk over to Kenny and of course he's like, that was great. Calm down. You've got one more dive, <laughs> you know? But at that point I kind of felt like I, I don't even care. Like I just, we just walk through that. Like this, the reason I'm here isn't even the same anymore. I kind of felt like the whole point of being at the Olympics was different. Now it, it suddenly meant so much more. And I, I wasn't so nervous for my last dive because it was, it was a back two and a half half. It was a twister. I love twisters. I knew it would be good. I just didn't know how good. And so I kind of just really enjoyed the last round. And I remember being on 10 meter waiting for them to call my name and I, I kind of had noticed, but I wasn't really paying attention, but the crowd had really gotten on my side, like the prior two rounds. And, um, I, I was waiting for them to call my name and the crowd was just erupting. There were like 17,000 people in there and it was insane before I even was going. And I remember just thinking I'm living out my dream right now. Like whether I end up first or fifth after this dive, I'm in it. Like, this is the moment. This is what I've been dreaming about. And I have this panoramic picture in my mind of where everybody was, like where Kenny was sitting, where my teammates were, and they were going crazy and holding up the flags and where my family was way down on the other end of the pool. And um, I could hear my brother going, that's my sister over all of the people. Um, and I just like that to me was maybe the sweetest moment, you know, cause it was just it was all to myself, you know, it was this, this special little moment. And my, my dive wasn't great. It was solid. It was a little splashy on the bottom, but it was like eights, I think maybe a couple eight and a halves. Um, and it was enough to, to keep me in the lead by like 1.7 or something like this really, it was really close. Um, but I couldn't see the scoreboard at all. Like when I would come up, they'd always be on the next person. So I never saw the scores, but I could see Kenny after each girl and he would turn around and go, yeah. And then after the last girl went clearly past vertical, he came running over and picked me up and he kept going, we did it. And I was like, well, what place did we get? Like, oh, great. We met him. <laughs> like what place? And he's like, no, we did it. We did it. And I, I just like, I couldn't believe it. It was awesome. It was so awesome. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let Heath go next, but, uh, you, you've been an inspiration to so many, myself included. I don't know if it, what year it was or the timing of it. I started diving in 2006 and I just remember, I believe it was 2008. I watched you do that reverse three and a half for straight tens. It was the first dive I'd ever watched for straight tens. <laughs> I just remember looking at my dad in the living room, like that was really cool. Uh, I would, <laughs> I would love to try this to get to, to that level. I never, never quite got to that level, but Thank you for, uh, for, for everything you've done thus far. Heath, go ahead. Yeah. So I'm actually going to kind of jump out of order just a little bit. So, um, you know, talking about pressure and I really like the way you described it instead of like pressure on you're like, no, it was just like a power behind me. And I think that's such a, I've never heard it worded like that as a way to flip it and not think about it as a negative thing, but a positive thing. But, you know, going through this, like, you have probably been in some of the most high pressure situations of some of the U S Olympic divers in the past 20 some years. How, what was the point in which you felt the most pressure, the most nerves, and how did you go about working through that moment? 
Oh, I don't, I don't know if there's just been any one. <laughs> I mean, there's been a lot, you know, uh, I think, I mean, there's definitely been moments too where I've let pressure get to me and I totally do. I do something stupid, um, because I'm, I'm letting that affect me, but the, the times that it all comes together is when I can really just stay in the moment and I can let everything else go and not worry about outcomes, not worry about whatever else is doing, but just staying in my own zone. You know what I mean? Staying in the moment really well. Um, and, and that, and that can even ebb and flow in a meet because with what we do, you know, it, it lasts for a second and you got all this time to wait in between. So like you can get in and out of that, you know, sometimes, unfortunately really easily. Um, so I've had some meets where I have cracked under pressure and then I have like, kind of, it almost like snaps me out of it. And then I'm able to get back into the moment, you know what I mean? And realize like, that was really stupid. I got to get back in here. So, you know, I kind of have had all of the ups and downs and it's, I, I don't know if there's any. I mean, honestly, it's something you have to practice. You have to practice for the pressure. You know, you have to go through these things and work out and, and imagine yourself in this really intense situation. Like this is the one that matters and putting all that pressure on you in the practice to know how to let it go. Because if you aren't ready for it, when it happens, you're not going to know how to handle it in a moment for sure. So I think, and I, and I love that Kenny does that to us a lot. And like, not when we're ready for it, like he doesn't tell us, it's not like we're doing a mock meet and I'll give you a scenario around. It's like, we'll be in a random practice and he'll just be like, the Chinese just went eights. You have to get nines in order to win the gold medal or whatever. And you're like, Oh crap, you know, and then everybody's looking at you, you know? So, um, I, I think those things though, they, they really do help you prepare for how to handle those situations because we're all different and like i can tell you till i'm blue in the face what i do yeah may not totally work for you you know what i mean but um but that is my advice is to practice that and try different things in those scenarios to see what exactly does work for you and i think honestly diving in college was one of the best gifts because you compete so much where you, you're like, now I can't even find a meet to go to, you know, but in college we had dual meets like every weekend, or sometimes you have like multiple things every weekend and you, and then you could do like one meter, three meter and tower. Like you have all these events you can do. And I think that was the best because if something didn't work one day, I would change it the next day because nobody really cares about the dual meets. There were these awesome opportunities to practice different stuff. Nope. Hey, I'm going to use music this week. Hey, I'm not going to this week. I'm going to talk a lot at this one and, and just be real <laughs> loose at this one. I'm going to be real serious and focused. And like, just seeing like that totally worked. That totally did not work. And you start to, to learn that in those like lower pressure situations. And then that can really help you, you know, the more important meets, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So talk about those bigger competitions and your mindset going into those, you know, how do you hype yourself up? Obviously you mentioned music, but what's the, what, what's the mindset going into the big ones? Um, I, I mean, I like to, I like to kind of find a good balance of both, if that makes sense. Like I, I like to be up enough, like and feel the nerves because then I know it's still important to me. Like I, I, people still ask me, I wish I was not nervous like you. I'm like, are you kidding? I'm always nervous and nervous is good. When I'm not nervous, something is really wrong. And I, I get a little nervous than what's going to happen. Um, I think nerves are great. I think nerves means this is important to you. It matters. And it kind of brings your senses to an alert state, which is actually really, really good. That helps you rise to the occasion. But, um, I think you need to be able to control those nerves, you know, cause those nerves can quickly get out of control and take over and you can become a hot mess real fast. So having the nerves, but being able to like take the deep breath and like, kind of let some of that go and, um, and know that like, okay, my legs might be a little shaky. What dive might be the best to start with? Like, I can't start with a back takeoff on tower. I really don't like doing that because I get really shaky for my first dive. Cause I just, I, my nerves come out very physical. Sometimes I'm like, wow, I don't even feel nervous. And I'll look down and my legs are totally shaking. So 
<laughs> but I know that about myself. So I started with an arm stand for a really long time or a front, you know? So, um, I think, yeah, kind of understanding how you operate with those nerves. So you, you got to have that kind of right balance and have some nerves to get you up, but like be able to, you know, harness the nerves, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, talking about all these big meets, what was it like going from being the young competitor, looking up to older athletes to now you're the veteran on the circuit. And, you know, like we talked about it, um, before Olympic trials, just about what it had to be like for those young ladies that were competing against you to be like, Holy crap. Like it's Laura Wilkinson. I'm diving next to, and against. And so like, what has that been like for you to transition to being the veteran, um, on the diving scene? Um, I mean, I kind of went through that a long time ago. I feel like, you know, when I first started out, um, I mean, I was already kind of an older athlete. I was in my late teens. Uh, you know, my first group age group was 16, 18. <laughs> I only lasted a couple of years. Um, and I was, I was diving with Kenny's wife, Patty, um, doing synchronized diving on 10 meter is kind of what really helped me got and get on the scene. And I was pretty young. I was like 17. Um, when I learned 10 meter and, and started diving with her right away. And she was the national champion. So, I mean, I, my eyes were like this big that I got to dive with her, but that, that was a really cool experience. And I think synchro just on a side note is so good for anyone coming on the scene. And like, it's just a great way to break through and to go to the big meets, maybe when you're not ready to be there individually yet, but it gets you there and you start to learn what that environment feels like. You start to get comfortable in it. And I think, and synchro is just such a fun event too. I think it's a really, really great thing. I've seen it help a lot of people with fear, like where they don't want to go by themselves, but they'll go with someone next to them. And it's really wild. I've even seen people learn new dives standing next to someone because they couldn't do it on their own. So it's, I think Stinger is just, just a great thing, but, um, coming up in that way where I, I felt like, yeah, I was very much this protege of, of Patty and, and learning under her wing and, and then, you know, kind of got to have my own Olympic experience. And then as I was around for all of like three Olympics, um, yeah, I just kept becoming the older and older <laughs> and the older one, you know, and, and, and in 2008, I was 30 and we had people on the team that were like, 14, 15. Um, so I was already like twice the age of everyone. So it was, <laughs> it was kind of weird, but, um, you know, the great thing about diving is there's a common language, you know, we can all speak diving. We all love diving. We all can relate to that. So there's always something to, to connect with. And I love that, you know, so I, I work out now with, with kids as young as like 10 years old, you know, up to my age, obviously. So, um, but there's, there's always that common bond there, which is pretty cool. And we all That's get nervous awesome. together and we all smack and we all do the things. So it's, you know, there's, there's a good, uh, a humbling experience there too. When you're supposed to be this older, awesome diver and you smack in front of these 10 year olds and they're like, what <laughs> you know, you're like, happens to the best of us guys. Yep. Um, but yeah, it was funny at trials this year though. I, cause we hadn't really gotten to compete. I hadn't really gotten to compete very much in the last few years and uh, just certainly not with those ladies. And so I felt really awkward coming in and I didn't know how people were going to feel about me being there. It was really weird. Like thinking about how I was as a younger athlete, anytime an older athlete had done stuff was there. I thought it was amazing. And I wanted to talk to them and, you know, be around them. But on this side, I'm like, are people not going to want me there? Like, what is that going to be? It was really, really uncomfortable going in. And I don't, I don't feel like people really loosened up around me until like we were almost in the finals. It was really strange. So I don't know if that was me or if it was just a weird vibe around the deck, but that's just, it was, uh, it was kind of funny, but by the end it was really sweet and we had some good conversations and uh, it was fun that people were like, I got into diving because I saw you. And like, that was really, that was really sweet. It, it was so bizarre. So my college athletes probably get tired of hearing me say it, but I'll be like, guess who I get to interview this weekend. And so today we're at practice and I go, 
guys, guess who I get to interview tonight? And I tell him, I go, Laura Wilkinson. And then I had this moment of realizing all of my athletes were born after the year 2000. And yep. so my, my divers that I have coached before and done film review with, they knew who you were, but I did have some divers that were like, I don't know who that is coach. And I'm like pulling my hair out. And I'm like, what do you mean? You don't know who this is? Like, and then I had this moment of like, Oh, cause I was like, you know, won the gold medal in 2000. Like coach, I wasn't born. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like I had this moment of like, Oh man, it just blew my mind. And then, so of course I'm like, okay, unfortunately I know you have way more important homework to do, but you all need to go home and watch these videos. And I put them <laughs> on flash drives and gave them to them. And sure enough, like almost all my lady di women divers text me and we're like, what the heck is this lady doing? Like reverse three and a half and like all these <laughs> enormous dives. And I'm like, yeah. And so it was, it was neat to like introduce them to a diver that they had never seen that now they can look at and use that as an example, but it was just bizarre. And I'm sitting there That's thinking fun. like you're competing against some people that probably weren't even born. Well, this is funny as I was learning, like relearning some of my dives a few years ago, uh, one of my teammates, uh, Max, I'll remember this. He was like, when's the last time you did that dive? And I was like, I think like 2005. And he goes, I wasn't born yet. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> great. Great. That's awesome. <laughs> Too good. Wow. Well, it, it's, yeah. it's kind of funny. You mentioned your list. Heath and I did a little, um, like Olympic trials preview and we were excited to get to watch you dive again. And I just remember looking through the lists and I was like, Heath, she's got a legit list still. Like this isn't like a cookie cutter, easy dive thing. She's doing a lot of hard dives. And that was just crazy <laughs> impressive to me. Ah, thanks. Thanks. Yes. Okay. So segueing a little bit away from diving, um, you wear a ton of different hats. I know you have a book, you're still diving. You're obviously a mother as well. Now I, I know you have a podcast of your own. There's this cool Instagram that I'm seeing. You have some diving clothing as well. How do you balance everything? I mean, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of juggling and I drop a lot of plates. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, yeah, I just, I love doing stuff. I'm, I'm passionate about a lot of things. I'm kind of more of the creative one, not the super organized one. Um, but I don't know. It's fun. It's not like I'm doing it all at the same time. You know, I definitely have to plan stuff out and my husband's awesome and he helps me kind of balance things. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I love all things diving. I love sports. I, I love what sports can do for people even outside of the sporting world. Like I love speaking um, and sharing my story because I think it helps people because, you know, sports is so black and white in a lot of ways. And it kind of, when you take those lessons and apply it to your life outside of the pool, it can really help kind of help you sift through the gray. You know what I mean? And like, I talk a lot of times about the first time I jumped off 10 meter and how terrifying that was, but like, you know, Kenny loves to say, you can't dip your toe in from the 10 meter to see if the water feels nice. You have to jump in with both feet. Like you have to commit. And how many times are we like, I want to try and do my best. I'm going to try all these things, but like, can you try and jump off a 10 meter? No, you either jump off or you walk back down in shame. Right. So, um, and, and like kind of just bringing that back to the forefront and, and using those lessons, um, to help people, you know, in whatever aspect of life that they're in, I, I think is really fun. So any way that can bring diving into, into everybody's lives, I think is great. No, I I'm curious. Cause it's, it's something I struggle with. Um, and my fiance would agree. How do you handle the balance with family and then all of your interests outside of your family? Um, you know, it sounds like you have a wonderful supportive husband. 
Um, can you like talk a little bit about that? Like for whether it's coaches or athletes that struggle with that balance, what kind of advice can you offer them for maybe to how they can find that balance better? Yeah. Um, I'm just going to say this really flat out. I think balance is a unicorn. I don't think it really exists. Um, cause if you want to be really good at something, you have to focus on it. And I, but I think it's more of a learning how to shift and kind of like roll with the waves and roll with the punches, um, that I can't, like I said, I can't do everything all at one time. I can't have that kind of balance. Like I have to, you know, maybe work on this one day and then tomorrow I'm going to work on this instead. And then, you know, so I have to kind of split up my time and I have to really plan things out. And I am, um, like I said, not maybe the most organized. Um, my calendar is really organized, but everything else in my life is not. So it's all very fluid, but, um, I try to invite my kids into that space. You know, they've, they've played with the podcasting stuff with me. They know when I have people on and I'll tell them all about it. So then they want to hear about it afterward, you know? And, um, so I, you know, and they, they were helping me when I was designing stuff for the little shop that you had mentioned, like the clothes we were doing, I was like, Hey, do you guys like this stuff? Would you wear this? What would you wear? And I'm like, would it be a hat? Should this be the, and so they help me, you know, they, they're involved. And so, um, you know, it's, it's kind of fun. Like we've got my book too. We got the preview for my book and my 10 year old picked it up and read the whole thing and was all excited because there were stories in there she'd never heard before. And that was really cool. Cause I just did not expect her to even want to read it. <laughs> so it really surprised me that she thought it was so neat. And I think kind of had a new respect for me after reading it, which was fun. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, kind of not, not totally a balance, more of a, a delicate waltz, maybe, you know, that we're, we're going over here, then we're going to shift it over here and then we're going to move this way. So it's, it ebbs and flows more like the waves, I think. That's, that's wonderful. Honestly, you, you segue perfectly into our next question. Um, you know, can you walk us through the process for your book? You know, tell our listeners that didn't know about it, what's your book about? What prompted you to want to do it? Um, and how was the experience of writing a book? Yeah. So it's called life at 10 meters lessons from an Olympic champion. Um, and I, I didn't want to write a big old autobiography. Um, that's not where I was at at the time. Um, cause I started writing it right when I started getting back into the water, it was really kind of, uh, I wanted to just have something out there first of all. Um, cause I felt like I just needed something more to, to give back and to, to be able to kind of arm people with some tools. And so I wanted to, to, kind of write down some lessons and some stories that I had been through where I actually learned something and grew and changed. And so like we talk about visualization in the book, I talk about um, fear to a, a big extent. Like I talk about some different things like that, that I, I learned and things I went through and how I learned it. And so, um, you know, I, and I think that was really, it was really fun process actually to be writing it as I was getting my dives back because I was writing this whole chapter on fear as I was learning my back three and a half. And that was the dive <laughs> I was so terrified to learn. So it was really kind of cool to be, it was like very therapeutic, you know what I mean? To be processing that and be like, okay, I'm going to be fine. Now I've got to do this again, <laughs> you know? So it was, it was kind of cool that way that it, that overlapped it. So, um, you know, it, we waited to publish a long time, just timing was bad. And then, you know, COVID hit and the whole world changed. And so um, it was great that it came out right after trials this year. And it's, it's been really, yeah, just kind of a fun extra. So if anybody needs a book for Christmas gift, you know, laurawilkinson.com yep. slash book, you can get an autograph copy. <laughs> That's definitely on my list. Yep. <laughs> um, so the next thing, tell us about your podcast. I know you have one, uh, just kind of explain, maybe gain a, a few extra ears here. Give, give your podcast a plug. Ah, thank you. Yes. It's called the pursuit of gold. And, um, like I said, I love how, um, sports just helps you in your life, but also I was telling Heath and Aaron, um, I was telling them, 
right before we started that I wanted to start my podcast because I wanted to learn stuff. I wanted to hear these amazing athletes stories. I wanted to learn from them. I wanted to get sports psychologists on because I can't afford a sports psychologist and I have no access to them. So I'm going to find a way to bring them on and ask all the questions that I have and Maybe it'll help somebody else, but I definitely wanted to learn a lot. And so I bring athletes from, from all different sports. We've had winter Olympians. I mean, we had Apollo Ono on there. We've had, um, wow. you know, all, all kinds of different, yeah, every kind of sport. Um, we had, I had a, sorry, I'm totally blanking. Oh my gosh. NFL super two times Super Bowl champion was on there. So we've had kind of all the different things. And I love that because as much as I love hearing divers and diving stories and I absolutely love what you guys are doing. I think that's so awesome because we can all geek out on diving and, and people's insights. Um, but I also love learning from people outside of our sport because they just bring something a little different. And you, you start to hear a lot of um, similarities, um, like how people handled certain challenges, not exactly the same, but there start to be these, these vibes that I don't feel like a lot of people do these amazing things without first going through something, you know, and it's, I mean, it's the stuff movies are made of, right? And so I just think it's so encouraging all the time hearing these people's story. I mean, there's this guy, um, Robert Paler. He was actually a, a rugby player in college. And in this like championship game, really early on in the game, he got put in a legal headlock and his neck broke. And he is paralyzed. He was paralyzed from the neck down. They said, man, if, if one day you can, you can hold a piece of pizza to your mouth again, like that will be a big victory. And he's walking right now. He uses a walker, oh. but he is walking of his own accord. And that guy wow. is story. And he's like, I, he goes, I get asked all the time. If you could go back in time, would you change it? And he said, no, because I'm inspiring so many more people now than I was before. I mean, it's just, so people like that, that you're like, Oh my goodness. You know, they just <laughs> renew your own passion for what you're doing. And I think it's so great to, to always be encouraged by those people. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Speechless. We're going to, <laughs> We're going to get into our signature questions now. So one of the ones that I always ask is, Laura, what is your favorite failure or your best learning experience? My favorite failure. I like the way you say that. That's great. Because you know failure is important. <laughs> failure is good. Um, so I've had a lot of failures. And I actually was telling somebody on Instagram the other day, they wrote me and they're like, is there anything you can't do? And I was like, oh my goodness. If you could see all the failures for every one victory, like you would be amazed. Um I think probably my favorite failure uh, is 2007 World Championships inward three and a half. So I uh, was notorious for missing inwards at big meets because I wouldn't commit to piking out. I just wanted to kick out real, real fast because I, I don't know, I was just scared, I guess. Um, and I, so I was always like really wishy-washy and I, I would always miss it. And I was trying to pike out, but I wasn't committed in this one. And I got this amazing start. And I didn't pike out. And so I landed so flat on my back. I got like, I think nine points total. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. That was after it was multiplied by the degree of difficulty. Yeah. So um, that was real flat. I somehow made it into the semifinal. I was in prelims. So, and I was the reigning world champion. So if you're ever going to eat some humble pie, like go big guys. So I am the reigning world champion. I do an inward three and a half for nine total points, somehow sneak into semis. And I was like, all right, something's got to change. Like this is obviously not working. And so it was pretty cool. Like after that meet, I mean, I somehow came back and got like fourth at that meet, but after that meet, 
I was like, Kenny, I've just, I'm not, I'm not committed to, I just need to commit to it, whether I eat it or not, because I'm just eating it, you know? And so we, I finally, it finally just forced me to commit to doing the right action every time, regardless. And I never missed that meet in another competition. I never, I don't wow. think I ever got below eights um, on that dive after that. Yeah. So it was like the, the little, you know, switch that flipped in my brain um, was absolutely amazing, but it took, cause I'm really stinking stubborn. It took doing something so horrendous and being so humiliated in order for me to change. So not my shining moment, but it was my favorite failure. <laughs> that's awesome. No, that's awesome. That's exactly why I asked that question. There's always some good stories there. Um, moving right along USA diving. Uh, we've been just big supporters of USA diving. We had a wonderful conversation with Lima shot on the podcast what just in general USA diving, what, what can we do to improve, you know, within our borders of the United States? And then, you know, going forward just on the global scale, what can USA diving do just to improve? Are you talking about like diving techniques specifically? Like what are, what exactly do you mean by that question? It's, it's really open-ended, um, you know, for, for a couple of answers, it was, you know, doing basics, doing a little bit more basics and committing to lineups and entries and things like that more. And, you know, other things were included, like, you know, just more inclusivity, uh, in, in the sport, you know, there, there seems at least in the past, there was a little bit of a divide of, Hey, this is a country club sport. And, and so some people answered it that way, uh, really just kind of an open statement. Hmm, interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like we go so many different directions, but, yeah. um, I, I have always struggled with USA diving as a governing body. Um, it was really bad when I first started and I was an athlete rep for a long time. I even went on the board of directors for a long time and no one wanted to change. And mm -hmm. that was really, I mean, it was like banging my head up against the wall because they were so comfortable, even though, you know, where we were in the world had taken a nosedive, they didn't want to change. They refused to change. And, trying to bring that about was really, really tough and really frustrating. And I, I felt like the athletes were screaming for change, but everybody else in there that it, it was like too scary to change. You know what I mean? But huh, you yeah. think about diving, if you're too scared to change in action, you're going to end up getting ones on your number three and a half at the world. <laughs> you have to make changes. You have to keep up, but you have to get ahead. And, um, that's just something, you know, I'm really excited that we have seen some amazing performances from, from the U S at the Olympics in the past couple of quads. It's been phenomenal and so refreshing, but, um, it doesn't seem like a whole lot has changed on the inside, at least from my perspective, I have sure. not been super into the governing body in the last few years. Um, but I mean, just personally, I struggle to find meets. It's like, if you don't come to this meet that they just announced six weeks ago, you know, and you're not ready for it, you can't qualify for any meets next year and you're just out of luck. And so it's like, how do you qualify for anything? You know, so I'm running into problems like that. Um, but that's just one, one detail there. Yeah. But, I yeah. mean, I think as far as like what they've done with some of their top level athletes, it's obviously doing well. Cause I think we've had some, some great performances. Um, I like that they do the synchro camps and things like that. I think that's really helpful and beneficial for people to try different partners and do different things. I think that's smart. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Love it. That, that actually like prompted an interesting question for me is what changes have you seen? Like looking at your career as like Olympic champion. So from, 2000 to 2021 your last olympic trials as of now what have you seen like the changes be from just a diving perspective you know um you had mentioned when you when you first retired you kind of saw women's 10 meter 
not continue to progress in the direction that I think you really helped usher along and bring these big dives in. And what, what changes have you seen, whether it's good or bad and what changes would you like to see from just a diving perspective? What do you think that next step for our athletes is? Yeah. Um, I think the, the women's 10 meter, it feels like it's kind of back on the upswing a little bit. It feels more like it was around 2004. Um, you know, and, and there's definitely the girl who won, oh my goodness. Um, and this year it was absolutely phenomenal. I don't know if we're ever going to see a performance like that again. She was amazing. Uh, yes. so cool. So cool. But yeah, I love that. Um, I mean the big dives that people are doing and doing them so well, it's absolutely crazy. You know, I'm seeing girls doing gainer three and a halves on three meter now, like all kinds <laughs> of wild stuff out there. Um, you know, it just, but that just really kind of makes me want to say, okay, coaches <laughs> don't get too excited and just start having your kids throw dives, like make sure they're doing the correct actions before they're doing these big dives. Cause the, the end result could be catastrophic if they're not properly prepared for it. So really paying attention to those basics, to the details, you know, whether it's hurdles, come out, make sure you're not pulling on takeoffs, you know, things like that. Like we need to make sure our foundations are really, really solid before we're, you know, upgrading to these big hard dives so that it's, you know, not a safety hazard and we can actually work on perfecting them. Yeah. I, it honestly, you saying that it like brings me a little bit of joy. Um, I'm fortunate that, the setting I'm in now, I get to coach an athlete that I had coached from her sophomore year in high school to now she's a freshman at our college. And it just how it worked out was awesome. And I, her mom posted something on Facebook, like the beauty of Facebook, the memories. She shared something that was three years ago on Wednesday. And it was her daughter doing her first ever back one and a half tuck. And it was, you know, I'm sitting there cheering and she goes long and she's nervous to kick. And now we just in the last four weeks started doing back two and a half tuck on three meter. And I'm like, she goes up and it's actually good. And I'm like, (laughs) oh, it's because we did three years of back one and a half tuck and we did back one and a half tuck three meter and having her come over to me and be like, I'm not scared of this dive when I first did. She's like, Mm -hmm. I was I was scared at first, but she's like, I'm not scared to do it because I know if I do exactly what you've taught me for three years, it's going to be fine. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, like it's so refreshing to hear that instead of, cause I remember when I learned mine, I was terrified of that dive. I hated it. And I'm like, ah, so it's, it's neat to hear that perspective. And, and Aaron and I wholeheartedly agree, like teach the basics. Mm-hmm. If you teach the basics, the rest kind of comes along. Um, oh, yeah. you know, so transitioning in here to my questions, what is your favorite drill as an athlete to do? It can be dry land, water, both, whichever you would prefer. What's your favorite drill? I love dry land flips. That's always kind of been my favorite dry, dry land flips and lineups are always, I don't know. It just feels like home and so comfy. <laughs> yep. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and then I feel like we're going to have a good answer here. What is the best advice you have either given or received? Ooh, okay. I have really good advice that I have received for sure. I hope I've given some good advice too, but, um, the best advice actually I have, can I, can I have two? Yeah. Yes. You have as many as you okay. want. <laughs> Okay. So the first one in 1996, I just missed making the Olympic trials by like less than two points. Um, I had like won the prelims and was ready to qualify. And then I knew that and I freaked out and and like was out of top eight. So I didn't qualify. And I was so bummed after that. And I remember Mark Lindsay walked over and I had been on some meets with him in the springtime that year. So I kind of knew him. He was the the reigning champion, um, Olympic champion on three meter from 92. And he walked up to me and he said, man, you know, this really stinks, but 
let this light a fire that's going to burn so bright for the next four years that like you won't be beat, you know? And like that, I held on to that because when an Olympic champion tells you something, <laughs> you hold on to that, you know? And yep. I held on to that. I mean, that next four years, I mean, I was, I was so like zoned in, like, this is what I was going to do. And so, um, I think that helped a lot. But then also the other great one I got was um, after the 2000 Olympic trials, I'd made the team and we went because um, that was an up the trials were up in Seattle. And so we drove just over the border um, to a little town and where my coach Kenny had his friends, Frank and Terry, um, they lived there. And it was this cool little place right over the water. Like you could see the States from like looking back and we just went there to chill for a couple of days. It was real pretty as Kenny's wife, Patty was there too. And uh, I remember Terry telling me, because she, she had been an Olympian for Canada in the 1976 Olympics that were in Montreal. So she was like the hometown girl and had all that pressure and all that intensity going into that meet. And she said, look, this is all I can tell you is that when you go into the Olympics, like, yes, there's all this pressure. There's all these cameras. There's all these lights. All this stuff is going on. But when you're in that pool, it's just a pool. And you're diving and you're doing the dives you've done a thousand times and you're competing against people that you've seen a thousand times. This is nothing is new. The only like nothing within your diving that you have to do is new and different. You know that. The only thing is just there's extra cameras, there's extra people watching you. So go to the Olympics, soak it up, love that you're at the Olympics, but when it's time to dive let all of it go and just dive. There's nothing scary or new there. And I really think that was so great and so freeing because it allowed me to go to the Olympics and to be like, there's the torch, there's the rings, there's the, and like totally geek out and be all excited, but, and get it out of my system kind of, you know what I mean? So then it was my time to dive. I could let all of that go and just do the thing I was there to do. And I, I think it was, that was probably the best advice I'd ever gotten. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. I was like, write it. I always write it down as people say it. Cause I'm like, Oh, like anything. I'm like, I'm going to steal this. If it's going to help my athletes, mm -hmm, for I'll, sure, I'll, give you, do. I'll give you, I'll give everybody all the credit for it. I don't need credit. I just want to <laughs> help the athletes. Um, and then, so this one's always one of my favorites is who would you like to hear us interview next? Ooh, let's see. There's so many good ones. Um, well, you know who I just had on that you need to have on Krista Palmer. Have you had her Ooh, on yet? We ha we have not. Okay, I'll hook you up. She's yes. awesome, and she obviously is fresh off of a really cool experience, and her story <laughs> yeah. is great, so great. Absolutely yeah. awesome, awesome, be awesome. Fun. And see, see, your listeners can come listen to her on my podcast, but then they're going to get a totally different story from you guys because you're going to yep. dig deeper into the diving stuff. <laughs> you love so it. Gonna, yes, so both yes. both worlds. <laughs> this this is perfect. That's it's awesome. Before Aaron kind of does our wrap up, I just want to say thank you so much, Laura. It's been a, an amazing honor for you to join us and just to be able to get to talk to you for one hour. I know you're a very, very busy woman and you have a lot of priorities and just for you to, to take the time to talk to us, it means the world to us. So thank you. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me on. This has been a real treat and I absolutely love diving and divers. We're like the small little family. So I'm glad to meet a few more members. <laughs> yes, absolutely. of course. Well, anybody out there on Instagram, hit us up. We are at the diving pod and Laura is at Lala underscore the underscore diver. So follow Laura on Instagram. Uh, also, our Gmail account is the diving pod at gmail.com. We still have t-shirts and hoodies for sale at my family's business, cowingrobards.com. Uh, just enter the code dive pod at checkout. That gets me covering your shipping costs. I'll write you a little note as well. And before we go, I think Laura, you also have a little clothing item that you should 
give give us give our listeners a little taste of what's going on there. Oh yeah. Well, I'm, I like to be creative. I'm that real artsy fartsy kind. And so I, I had all these designs that I came up with. And so I suck them on a bunch of shirts and hats and water bottles and mugs. And so go get your Christmas gifts at laurawilkinson.com slash shop. There's something for everybody on there from the, the tough mom in your life to the diving fan to um, your, you know, little nieces or nephews or kids that said little dreamer. So there's something for everyone on there. Love it. Well, thanks again. That was a true honor. I'm very, very excited to, uh, to listen to this back.